Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Rates and Lanes podcast. I am your host, Rico Mohammed. We have our special guest making his monthly appearance with us tonight, Mr. Hank Seaton. So don't be bashful, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a question about any type of contract, whether you got a question about your lease, your lease purchase, any type of transportation contract at all, tonight is the night to definitely try to get in to ask your question. We will be try to uh, be as caller heavy as possible. We want to try to take as many calls as we possibly can within this one hour that we have. Uh, we want to, so we want to try to get you in. So if you got a question or anything like that, go ahead and press number one now. One of my lovely daughters is down is down uh, ready to uh, screen your call and get you get you guys logged in and ready to come up and on board with us. With that said, without any further ado, we're going to try to get through uh, the beginning portion of the show as we normally do. We start out with the uh, USDA truck rate report for this week. And according to the report this week, we don't have any areas with any shortages. We've got a couple of areas with slight shortages, and those are South Florida and Mexico crossing through Texas. Uh, areas that are showing slight surpluses that you might want to avoid, Central and Western Arizona, Mexico crossing through Nogales, Arizona, Imperial and Coachella Valley, California, Kern District, California, Oxnard District, California, Salinas, Watsonville, California, Santa Maria, California, Minnesota, North Dakota, Red River Valley, and Columbia Basin, Washington, areas that have outright surpluses that you might want to make sure that you are getting a hefty, uh, taking a hefty backhaul with you to help you out when you're trying to come out of there. If you're working that spot market, San Luis Valley, Colorado, in Nebraska, both of those are showing outright surpluses. If you would like a more in-depth look at this report, you can go right over to the Rates and Lanes Facebook page with Rico Muhammad and click on the link there, and it'll take you directly to this report where you can go and dig deeper into it for your at a later time at your convenience. Jumping right on over into the DAT Trendlines report for this week. Load the truck ratios increased for reefers flat and flatbeds last week, with flatbeds continuing a six-week climb. However, that did not translate into rate increases. Last week, the national average fan rate dropped by $0.03 cents per mile, while both reefer rates and flatbed rates slipped by $0.01 cents per mile. So let's take a deeper look into these reports real quickly, jumping over into the U.S. van and demand capacity report for the week of March 5th through the 11th. Van load postings declined by 2.5% last week while truck postings held steady. That caused the load to truck ratio to dip 2% down from 2.9 to 2.8 loads per truck. The national average van rate, as I previously stated, fell by 3 cents per mile last week on the spot market. Let's look, take a deeper dive and look into the rates for those drive-ins. After increasing $0.04 cents per mile the previous week, 
Last week, fans re- van rates retreated three cents per mile. The national average rate for vans fell to a dollar sixty-three cents per mile. Outbound load volumes and rates increased in Houston and Charlotte, but fell in Los Angeles. Taking a look by region on the spot market for dry vans, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania being our representative city, showing average spot market rates for dry vans at $1.56 per hour. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in, showing spot market rates for dry vans at $1.88 per mile. Moving into the Midwest, we have Chicago, Illinois checking in, showing spot market rates at $1.90 per mile. And moving into the south central portion of the United States, Dallas, Texas being the representative city, spot market rates showing at $1.52 per mile. And moving out west on the west coast, Average spot market rates for dry vans on the spot market out of Los Angeles, $1.82 per mile. And just to mention, uh, diesel fuel prices dropped by 0.8 percentage over the last week to a national average of $2.56 per gallon. Moving right along, jumping over into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity report for the week of March 5th through the 11th, the flatbed load-to-truck ratio increased for the sixth week in a row. Last week, flatbed load postings increased 4%, while truck postings held steady. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase by 4%, up to 35.8 loads per truck nationally. Last week, the national average flatbed rate declined by $0.01 per mile. Let's take a look and a deeper look at the uh, U.S. flatbed rates on the spot market. Despite an increase in the load-to-truck ratio last week, the national average flatbed rate slipped by $0.01 per mile to $2.01 per mile. Taking a look around the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Harrisburg, PA checks in, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $3.07 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in, showing average spot market rate for flatbeds at $2.35 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Rock Island, Illinois checking in, spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.54 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, Houston is the representative city showing $2.10 per mile on average for the spot market. And moving out west, Phoenix, Arizona, rounding out the report, uh, coming in at a paltry $1.60 per mile on the spot market for flatbeds. Let's jump over here into the reefer demand segment of the report really quickly. Last week, reefer low postings held steady while truck postings declined by one cent. One one percent, excuse me. That caused the load to truck ratio to inch up one percent to five point eight loads per truck. The national average spot market rate for reefers dipped by one cent per mile last week. Let's take a look at those rates for the week of March fifth through the eleventh for reefers. Reefer rates dipped one cent per mile nationally to an average of a dollar eighty seven cents per mile, with prices rising in the Texas and Los Angeles market. Uh, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, we're showing average spot market rates out of Elizabeth, New Jersey at $1.70 per mile. 
Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida, checking in, showing average reefer spot market rates at $1.36 per mile. Moving up into Green Bay, Wisconsin, we have uh, $2.63 per mile on average. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have $2.08 per mile coming out of McAllen, Texas. And moving out west, wrapping up the report, coming out of Fresno, California, $1.81 per mile on average for the spot market for reefers out of the west coast. And really quickly, before we jump into um, bringing our guest on, we are going to wrap up this week's uh, bad broker report. Uh, not as many jump names have been added to this list, but it's still quite significant all the same. This week, starting out on the report, Pro Alliance Network, Inc., MC number 995803. FMCSA shows trust fund is set to cancel on 3-22-17. Over $46,000 in reported non-payment complaints have been reported. Uh, there have been notices that this broker also has nearly $1 million in unpaid carrier invoices. They are considered to be an extreme risk. Again, that MC number is 995-803. The next one on the list is American Optimized Logistics Solutions Group, Inc. MC number is 578607. Over $2,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. International Logistics Management, Inc. MC number is 712067. FMCSA shows that surety bond is set to cancel on 33017. Over $6,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. XL Freight Logistics LLC, MC number is 951344. Over $6,000 in non payment complaints have been reported. This one is a shocker. Uh, Grable Forders Inc., Grable Van Line LLC, MC number 184224. Uh, this broker has over $85,000 in unpaid carrier invoices. That is that is a shocker right there. Grable Forwarders, Inc., MC number 184224. Uh, Grable has kind of been a staple in the, in the uh, moving industry. Uh, kind of shocked to see their name make that report. Uh, the last one on the list, Recycling Revolution, LLC. This is a shipper. Recycling Revolution LLC has received information that this shipper has over $7,000 in unpaid carrier invoices. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, we got Hank Seaton on with us tonight. So uh, if you're having any of these issues, uh, one thing that I would definitely advise you to do is make sure that you got Hank's book, um, Rules of the Road. You, if you are a listener of the show, you can use a promotional code to get a discount. Rico, the promotional code is RICO2016. Type that in when you're checking out, and you can get that uh, discount on the book, and it'll help you avoid some of these pitfalls. And with that said, with no further ado, let's bring the man of the hour on, our, spe our esteemed guest making his monthly stop, Mr. Hank Seaton. Hank, how are you? I'm doing fine, Rico. How are you? 
I'm I'm doing very well, very well. Kind of excited to talk to you tonight and to uh, see what our listeners may bring to the table with us tonight. Another issue that I want to bring up really quickly before we jump into it, uh, my email box has been getting inundated by a lot of uh, people that I have done business with wanting to know, sending out surveys, wanting to know what type of uh, solution are we providing for this new uh what we have been talking about here on the show for a couple of weeks now, the, the solution that you guys have to offer for the uh, the uh, um, I forget the the food uh, safety yeah, it's a, program yeah, it's a that they have. Food Safety Modernization the, Act, yes. Right, Rico, right. I so cherish, I've been getting, I would cherish if you've uh, uh, kept them uh, sending me uh, a list of the people who are inquiring about it. So that we can reach out Absolutely. and maybe provide them with some information. Absolutely, I, I would. Uh, I, I'll see if I can uh, uh, get that list over to you before the before the night's over. With I'll, I'll just go back to my email box and I'll shoot you an email on that. Okay, let me give you um, uh, and listeners a little little background on what is actually happening. Uh, <clears throat> April is the compliance date for large carriers. Carriers with a uh, over 27.5 million are supposed to have in place, I think it's April 7th, a uh, food safety uh, materials training program. So a lot of the large carriers are scrambling trying to make that date. Also, uh, a good number of, uh, of, of friends and clients went to the food shippers Association Convention, which is a great big convention that was held last week, and it was really the buzz down there with uh, uh, primarily shippers and brokers trying to inquire about what are the carriers doing to be FISMA compliant, and what is happening is the shippers are enforcing on the brokers and on down to the small carriers uh, as anticipated that we want to know that you're going to uh, train your drivers in food safety uh, uh, awareness. Or we're going to want to know that your drivers are going, or your truckers are going to have uh, compliant reefers. That you understand what uh, the cleanliness is about. Uh, um, all of the 16 requirements of FISMA, most of which are just delegable. Uh, requirements from the shipper down to the carrier. And so uh, all of a sudden we're getting a, a rush of carriers, both large and small, joining the protocol. Now, the purpose again of the protocol is just to allow carriers large and small to say that they will require with these uh, rudimentary requirements of, uh, of, of FISMA and that they will also provide us with a certificate of insurance. Uh, some major brokers uh, uh, and carriers are endorsing the protocol, so the numbers of small carriers is, uh, is really beginning to climb just in the past couple of weeks of people joining the protocol. And I, I think, Rico, you can probably share the content of what some of these requests are the ones that I have seen uh, uh, may recommend the protocol. They certainly want to know what you're doing to get 
FISMA compliant. And uh, uh, I think in the next three weeks, this is really going to hit. I've got a, uh, an announcement I can make about uh, the Hazardous Material Training Program and its availability. Uh, we found something there that I think will mesh well with uh, what we currently have with the protocol. But uh, hopefully industry can uh, all move in that direction so that we can have one minimum standard rather than a small carrier having to do one thing for one shipper and one thing for another. Absolutely, and and that that's pretty much you hit the nail on the head. That they're, they're uh, inquiring as to what type of uh, uh, what are we doing to to be prepared for the upcoming mandate with the uh, from the USDA. Um, I'm sorry, not the USDA. It's the food. It's the, actually this is coming from the FDA. Is that correct, uh, Hank? Yes, it's coming from the FDA. Just want, I just wanted to make sure which we had the right alphabet soup on now. <laughs> and and is yeah, there now, anything else? I see we got dry, a I see we got a question that, a caller with a question. We're coming to you in, in just a second, caller. Just want to try and do a quick little housekeeping. So uh, just be patient with us. But uh, is there anything else new coming down the pipe that we need to be uh, made aware of? Ain't well, yeah. Before we before we get off this topic, uh, uh, anybody on the line might want to take down the initials ufstp.com that stands for uniform food safety transportation protocol ufstp.com well, i did you, you i did you one about, i did you one better hank I, I got the link up on the uh i got the link up on the racing lanes facebook page already i already i just put it up good, so good. It, well, i did you one better so anybody the, interested uh, yeah, about the protocol. The other thing is uh, 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 there's there's several training programs out here, and I don't mean to uh, be disparaging about any of them, but one that's going to be available in the next uh, uh, on on the twentieth that uh, we've looked into is one that is sponsored by the uh, University of Tennessee, which has a uh, uh, agricultural extension program that's worked with the FDA in preparing training organization uh, training programs for FDA. Their program for truck drivers uh, will be available on a dial-up basis uh, and will result in you getting a certificate of, of completion that will be sent not only to the carrier but also to the driver. So that will be portable. In other words, uh, uh, once you have been trained by the uh, uh, University of Tennessee, uh, if you go from one carrier to another, you can show and document your, your training. We looked at the program. Uh, we had it <clears throat> screened by three major carriers, and uh, everybody seems to be happy that it meets the requirement of the act. The, the fact that it's uh, not some oddball training program and has uh, been vetted in a way by FDA, I think, makes it a, a, a very attractive program. It should take a, a driver uh, something less than, a, than, a, than an hour to read it. There are some questions. You can do it at your own space. It's, uh, I think it's a good program. So if you're getting uh, uh, pressure, uh, 
from your shipper to go ahead and get that training uh, that will be available. All right, Hank. Well, we definitely appreciate the heads up on that. Let's go ahead and try to mix in a couple of callers. Uh, caller, my sure. I forgot to put the name up. So, caller, we don't have your name, but you're calling from area code 301. What's your name and how can we help? Uh, this is Mike. Thanks for taking my call, Rico and uh, Mr. Seaton. I have a quick question. Uh, maybe not so quick. I'm trying to avoid what I think is a pitfall. Um, a friend of mine has his own authority, and uh, until a couple of months ago, he got into a family situation which required him to move out of country. It took him longer than he anticipated, so his insurance lapsed, and uh, his authority was revoked. Came back a couple of weeks back, put everything back, now he's operating. I got my own authority, but he's running into a situation where um, many brokers are saying that his authority is too new, and therefore they want book loads for him. And so he's been requesting me to book loads under my authority, uh, in in instances where he's having mm. trouble getting out of certain areas, and uh, he's he's saying that all I need is to have my company as a loss payee on his insurance, and if anything happened, I should be protected. Is it that really, that simple, or I should be uh, thinking about something else more comprehensive uh, if I need to help I him? I, I don't think it's I don't think it's all that simple. Uh, there are one of two ways that uh, uh, someone else can <clears throat> run for you or under your authority. One way would be if you were a broker and you were brokering it to him and whoever had signed you up had signed you up as a broker and you were responsible for hiring him. That doesn't work because that's not what you're doing. The other Correct. way would be for you to... Uh, set him up uh, under a lease agreement. If you set him up under a lease agreement, <clears throat> you would have to uh, be responsible for his safe operations. You'd have to have a driver file. You'd have to have everything for him in the spot market that you otherwise have to have uh, if you were leasing on or owner-operator. And just being named as an additional insured on his policy uh, wouldn't really satisfy me because whoever is insuring your truck uh, uh, or your company is probably insuring your vehicle and if you had to put this guy's logo on your door, he could have to pick up the, the lawsuit. So you really can't hire a guy as an independent contractor just name mm -hmm. as an additional insured and not report it to your insurance company. Um, okay. There's just too much. There's just, just too much issue there. Let me ask you, caller, a question. Sure. Even though he went out of the country, when he came back and reinstated his insurance, uh, he should have uh, gotten his uh, original docket number uh, back. So you know, if he if he'd been around for two years. Uh, anybody that would uh, look at, up his docket number would see the older docket number. Uh, how long mm -hmm. was he in business before he left the country and came back? Four years. Well, he, he I don't understand. Started, you can go on CSA.org and see if he's got an old docket number or not. 
unless he filed for new authority, I can't see why the system would show him as a as a virgin and not just to reinstate an old docket number. Because in fact, a lot of uh, a lot of people who have uh, been out of business for up to a year or two will come back uh-huh. and go through a reinstatement rather than file for new authority for that very reason that you mentioned. That is correct. He's not getting new authority. He's keeping all his uh, DOT numbers and uh, uh, his operating authority number. Everything is just the same. He's being just reinstated because it's not even been a couple months. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, he shouldn't have any more problem now than when he left the country, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I guess it depends on some of these uh, brokers, um, what they see and what they consider. So I, I'm not sure what's going on. I, I mean, I'm not running into that problem, but that's what he tells me, that uh, he's being refused loads because of, of that statement that he, you know. So I also don't understand. Well, it, if, but, I were, uh, if I, I were going to go into it, I would be saying, hey, look, you need to be an owner-operator for me, and for the liability purposes, I'm going to take a, a typical uh, uh, commission, uh, which, uh, you know, is not going to be financially advantageous to him if he's got his own authority and set up to run right. his own. Okay. Okay. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Rico. <clears throat> yes, sir. Quick, quick, just to horseback off that a little bit there, Hank. Uh, with the new um, – when they brought in the new law um, – it kind of messed it up for you can't really do interlining anymore from one carrier to another. That is true unless you uh, haul the load a portion of the way. I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm uh, I'm working on a, a case right now where a uh, collection agency is uh, trying to go against a shipper uh claiming that the uh, carrier wasn't paid but in fact the underlying carrier the collection agency represents didn't pick up the shipment it was an interline shipment that was taken to chicago by a carrier and given to the delivering carrier now that still classifies as an interline because uh the origin carrier the one the shipper paid handled the load a portion of the weight the analysis in terms of the delivering carrier's recourse is, I think, entirely different from a double brokered situation because the delivering carrier took the freight from the origin carrier who agreed to pay it. The delivering carrier is not named on the bill of lading, wasn't in possession of the shipment under the bill, and in that case, your analysis, I think, for liability changes a good bit. But one of the real take-homes for anybody on the on the phone, uh, on the line, again, is remember this. If you take a load off of a call board from ABC and your driver goes in to pick up the shipment and XYZ shows up as the carrier of record, you got a problem. You got a problem. Make that sure is, that you uh, get your name on that bill of Get your name. Well, get your name on the bill, but, uh, you know, just because you see uh, uh, Swift or Werner on the bill, uh, don't feel that putting your name on it is going to do anything else other than set you up for a lawsuit because very clearly the guy you got the load from isn't the one the shipper hauled. 
the shipper hired. Right, right. Okay. Well, with that said, uh, we got a couple. We got a couple more people with some questions. So let's go. Uh, got to get my call screen to put the names up here. But we got someone wants to talk about the food safety calling from four hundred two area code. Calling you up live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, we haul uh, dog food, okay, canned dog food in dry vans, and it'd be a good thing for us to have that permit as well. Is that correct? Well, actually, to the I think that uh, that fresh dog food or dog food in a bag is probably FISMA uh, sensitive. I think canned dog food because it's shelf ready. Uh, and not subject to temperature variance is probably not technically subject to FISMA. There are exclusions, and it's uh, uh, they're a little bit ill-defined because FDA hasn't come out with the specificity you would expect. But uh, clearly, uh, canned dog food uh, uh, is 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 shelf ready, and so I'm not. Uh, if that was all you were transporting, I. I, I would uh, I would be careful before I figured out that I was uh, need to be FISMA compliant. Uh, does it cost uh, something to get the educational or the class and the permit or whatever you need? Uh, is, would it be a good idea for me to get that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, because the, the act itself says that it applies to uh, uh, human and animal food, uh, I don't think the training, the 50 bucks it cost, uh, nor uh, uh, being aware of it. Uh, you know, if you don't have, uh, obviously, if you don't have a reefer and you've just got a drive van, your analysis may be a bit different. But what I think is going to happen is I think these FISMA rules are going to set the standard regardless of of whether or not the uh, the shipment is, tech, is, is technically within the four square of FISMA because all that's really basically required is, uh, uh, is, is, is trailer cleanliness, uh, uh, an operating uh, reefer, uh, uh, reefer uh, uh, ability to download the records, uh, uh, your agreement to uh, apply by, uh, comply with special conditions set forth in writing by the shipper, uh, it's not a real hard hill to climb. Uh, That's okay. I'm kind of thinking it'd probably be in my best interest to really have the permit in my back pocket just for giggles. Yeah, it, it actually what it is is it's not like uh, a hazardous permit. Uh, uh-huh. the, uh, the, one thing, the one thing that the UT program will give you uh, is it will give you a certificate. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you get to a dock and somebody says, prove to me you've had uh, uh, um, safety awareness or sanity or food uh, awareness, you'll have a certificate to present. I don't know whether shippers are going to get that uh, that extreme. I think uh, it's very likely that if you uh, if you if if Rico were to show up and wasn't a household name uh, to every every shipper in the country, they might say, "Hey, uh, you know, are you are you aware of these uh, food safety rules?" Uh, and you know, the carrier's answer is going to be, "Yeah, 
you know, you can look on the side of the door and go on the uh, uh, protocol and see that everybody is 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 trained and we got insurance. If you're, uh, you know, hauling hauling produce or for some reason uh, uh, you're a onesie, I, I think they uh, they they might actually ask you at some point to prove uh, you're in compliance. And, uh, okay. you know, uh, the protocol accomplishes that, and clearly this training certificate would be, uh, you know, one thing to show that you were uh, uh, aware of how to handle a product that could be adulterated. The term adulterated okay. uh, or contaminated is really, uh, uh, you know, at the basis of this. Is the, is the product yeah. perishable? Uh, there are provisions that say, you know, you... Uh, you you could contaminate a shipment if you had uh, uh, you know certain commodities both on the truck at the same time. So the the, the uh, FISMA training would alert you to that. Okay, can can we find your Facebook page or how to get the training, the course, and all that? If if you go if you to go, uh, the Race and Lanes Facebook page, we got we got a link yes, up sir. right there for you. Thank you very so much. You just that's, go to the Race and Lanes. Yes, sir. You can go to Racing Lanes with Rico <laughs> Muhammad. You'll see the link. It'll take you directly to the TransComply uh, UFSTP portion of the site where you can sign up, and, and they'll take care of you right over there. Thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate it. Rock on, man. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Quick question, Hank. Um about the uh, with, with the food safety program and everything now, is this primarily just going to be affecting reefers, or will this carry along the entire food chain as far as you know? Because you you got uh, further down the, where they probably at the beginning of the line, you got some dry bulk uh, type trailers and hopper bottoms that that carry food stuff. Probably that it actually ends up in the food supply. Um, are they going to be under the same type of scrutiny or or not? Yeah, absolutely. There are provisions in terms of for extra clean-out procedures and things such as that for your uh, uh, your dry food stuff, you know, your corn and and items uh, items like that, uh, your vegetable oil. Uh, so yes, indeed, uh, uh, bulk tankers are involved as well. Okay. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, so now, if you guys got any more, if you got any more questions, don't be bashful. We got a bunch of callers on the line. Like I said, we want to try to make this hour as caller centric as possible to take advantage of of Mr. Hank Seaton. You know, take advantage of his knowledge that he brings to the table. So if you guys got questions about contracts, lease purchases, leases, any type of contracts, uh, rate confirmations, detention, any of that stuff. You can go ahead and press number one. We'll get your call screen. We'll bring you right up and on board. Right now, we uh, we got a bunch of, but like I said, we got a bunch of people on the line. But we uh, we ran through the call bank that we've had. So if you got a question, now's the perfect opportunity for you to get in, and we'll get you right up and on board where you can talk to Hank and ask your question. Um, some other things that have been coming down the pike, Hank. Uh, um, I know that we you discussed it. In your last book, and I gotta make sure I gotta get my copy of uh, the Rules of the Road. I gotta get my own copy. But uh, just real quickly, can we touch on while we're waiting to get a couple of callers screened in? Uh, touch on 
leases and lease purchases, some things that we may need to be aware of when we're looking at uh, those contracts? Sure. Uh, a lot, uh, a large number of carriers have traditionally provided uh, equipment to uh, independent contractors, which the contractors would turn around and lease back to the carrier. Uh, either the, it's either owned by the carrier or the carrier affiliate. Um, it it creates uh, some of some of that is I think very helpful because. Uh, a lot of uh, of motor carriers will have uh, uh, good used equipment <coughs> that makes excellent uh, uh, entrepreneurial opportunity for uh, a, a, an owner operator. The important things to be looking for in those agreements is the reputation of the of the carrier, uh, whether or not you're getting skin in the game. By that I mean. Uh, uh, are you going to be able to uh, uh, work the truck down so that uh, you'll get title to it when it's still got plenty of juice looked in it? Uh, if you got one of those lease agreements that basically you pay every month and what you pay is just uh, uh, is just an expense, and then you're you're uh, a driver after you get the expense out of the way, it may not be nearly as attractive an issue. What I see most frequently with independent contractors is they're uh, uh, insufficiently capitalized and they uh, they have a, have a maintenance problem that that that's crippling. Uh, the other thing is the independent contractor model, which uh, uh, I'm I'm foursquare in support of, is under really great attack uh, in certain states. Uh, there are a spate of lawsuits being brought as alleged class actions, but actually if you scratch it very hard, you'll see the Teamsters or somebody's behind it. The purpose of which is to say that actually independent contractors or uh, owner-operators are not independent contractors. They should be treated as employees to get... Uh, the benefits of the social welfare system. Uh, these lawsuits try to uh, uh, make the motor carrier look like uh, uh, the nasty captain of industry who uh, is forcing uh, independent contractors into bad deals. Uh, it's unfortunate, but those lawsuits uh, are gaining some real cogency in states like California and Illinois and and, and New Jersey, leading to some really strange uh, outcomes that uh, I think at some point uh, uh, the people who really believe in the independent contractor model and who are owner-operators need to uh, say, hey, look, we don't want to be an employee. Uh, we want to be able to be a, an entrepreneur and uh, – uh, we're willing to uh, take the risk involved in it because the gain out, outweighs the risk. And, you know, this is more of a of a philosophical issue, I guess, than anything else. Uh, the way the lawsuits tend to be going and the way the state laws tend to be going, we've really got a, a real reversal. Uh, I think the current administration is much more 
uh, favorable to the independent contractor model than the previous one, but I don't know how long it'll take the courts and the uh, and the uh, plaintiffs bar to understand that. I'd be interested in in a dialogue with uh, uh, folks that are listening. Uh, uh, you know, you always get disgruntled uh, uh, contractors that haven't been treated right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think the vast majority of the people who've been in it for a long time uh, uh, are, are probably very happy with taking the tax breaks that come with being an independent contractor and not an employee. But this is this is a great sleeper argument that uh, uh, is floating just below the surface. Um, in California and its treatment of... Uh, of overtime and meal breaks is just probably scratching the head of the problem. Yes, sir. All right, let's go. We're going to jump back into the callers. We got a caller calling in from the seven seven three area code. Uh, wants to get in and ask us a question. Caller, you up live with Rico and Hank? How can we help? Yes. Hi. How you doing? And uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, thank you for the call. What's, what's your What's your name, caller? Yes, um, my name is John. John, all right, John. And I have a question about. The, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate you too. And I have a question about um, about the claim that I actually have right now. Um, it was a load of blackberries, um, and they uh, they refused the load because they said they were too cold. And my question is, they can. Can they really re- refuse that load because it's too cold? The the fact of the matter is that increasingly shippers, particularly on produce, are rejecting loads either because they're too hot or they're too cold. If you go into the red book and the blue book, uh, you'll see that there are temperature variances for various produce, uh, produce uh I think they'll say, and Rico's probably a better expert at this than I am, that if you if you freeze uh, uh, blackberries or blueberries, uh, they're they're off they're off color. You may not see the deterioration uh, immediately, but uh, uh, if they're out of temperature around, uh, they uh, uh, are certainly off grade or damaged. Uh, some of that gets into, uh, uh, and FISMA will help you with that, I think. In the back, they just said, well, these, these berries are too cold, dump them. Uh, FISMA is going to say that your reefer is going to have to be able to download the temperature that was maintained during transit. So it may very well be that you can live and die by your reefer, uh, by showing uh, the ambient temperature of the reefer during transit, uh, I do know that uh, that freezing uh, freezing berries uh, can be a real issue. Uh, I would say that the berries need to be uh, uh, inspected, uh, not just some shipper saying, "Well, gee, uh, they're too cold." Uh, and you know, it, lots of times you'll get a situation in which the temperature contamination is a result of a block shoot or or other things, so it may not be that the all of the all of the berries are frozen. Uh, but yes, uh, 
uh, if you pop in there and 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 the berries are frozen, I think uh, uh, the shipper uh, uh, certainly is right to uh, to flag it. You should have temperature uh, uh, maintenance uh, given to you at the time of pickup. Were you really out of uh, temperature around during transit? Do you have a safer no. amount of no, actually not. Everything was um, fine. The temperature was fine, and the temperature was actually uh, the coldest. They uh, they take a, a sample of the temperature. The coldest was like 31.6. And I looked up on the Internet, and they said that the freezing point for blackberries is actually 30.5. And um, they the broker told me to just drop it at the cold storage and they actually re-delivered them to the same place, but for a different price. And now they want the price difference that I will pay. And it was actually uh, um, two drops. The first one was okay. There was nothing wrong. It was the second one that they they refused it. Yeah, that may be part of a, shoot, uh, a block shoot thing. But the other question that I've got for you is, under the new FISMA rules, and we don't have this in place yet, but uh, the rule says that if the uh, uh, load could have been become uh, adulterated or is to be rejected, it can't be put back in the food chain until it is inspected. Previously, we have had some rather arrogant people in the produce industry that said, no, the temperature is not good, uh, we're not buying it, and then you go through this thing about, well, maybe the broker can sell it back to them for a reduced price, but nobody's ever really inspected and determined whether or not the the product has, uh, has, has lost its value. Uh, as part of what we talked about earlier, we're, we're trying to work to set up people who can actually inspect this kind of product before it's just reconciled to uh, breaking the claim over the over the butt of the driver, I, it's been a problem for me for the for the past thirty years. That uh, there's just a haphazard way in which claims are handled, and it sounds like you may have gotten caught up in that. Yeah, the thing is that the insurance I'm, I'm, will I'm not cover it. Enough. I'm sorry, the insurance will not cover it because there was no refer breakdown. Yeah. So, am I really responsible other... for that, or? Yeah. Listen. That is did, did, that did is you, did, the big. Go ahead, Rico. Well, well, I was the question that I was going to ask, and maybe it's just because it's my insurance carrier. I, I, I've had pretty good luck. I've never had a load rejected or uh, damaged or anything like that. But my insurance carrier has always told me that if I have any of those issues or anything like that, to give them a call immediately and let them get involved to help and assist on uh, on situations like that. Um, what what would be what? What's your advice on that, Hank? How do you think? How should we? Well, uh, how you should, know, my my advice my advice is that you call up your uh, your insurance company and ask them how many more carriers they're willing to insure, because I find just the opposite. I find typically that the uh, insurance underwriter uh, is uh, going to be uh, passive, uh, dodge the claim. And then send in the notice to the uh, uh, to the shipper that says we're denying this because there's no reefer breakdown and we have no obligation to defend the the poor carrier. 
if the broker's got the money, he deducts it from the carrier. If not, the carrier gets sued. Because I, I would say, in my experience, that with the exception of two or three insurance companies, most of them uh, have only reefer breakdown. And uh, typically, uh, you have got to prove that uh, there was a reefer malfunction uh, uh, to, to get coverage. Now, there are some insurance companies that do a great job, but, uh, uh, you know, being a lawyer, all I see is the, is the time when the client calls me and says, I can't get the damn insurance company to do a thing. Mm. That, that's unfortunate. That's a, that's very unfortunate. Okay, well, we definitely, you got anything anything right. else you want to add real quickly there, John? Um, actually, you know, uh, it was the load was um, it was like uh, 640 cases, and it was inspected. And uh, under inspection, they wrote it uh, not well colored. Is that does that mean anything, or what does that mean, not well colored? Well, I would assume, and again, I'm not a BlackBerry expert, but I'm assuming that the the coloration is evidence of uh, of, uh, of of frost or, or uh, you know it's been been frozen or thawed. Um, that you know, well colored blackberry is one that uh, uh, you know hasn't been uh, it's been maintained at proper temperature. Uh, my again, uh, you know, you're thinking about the housewife. She's going through here and she's looking for. Uh, uh, bright uh, uh, blackberries, and if she sees a coloration problem with them, she's going to say, hey, that's a diminished value, and whoever is distributing the blackberries is going to say, well, we rejected this as the dock because if we went into Publix with these, they would say, get them out of our face. They don't have any shelf life. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you know, bananas. Bananas get bruised, and it takes the. If bananas get frozen, it takes a couple of days for it to show up. So um, I'm not <clears throat> I'm not an expert on that. I I do know that as between uh, regulated commodities and produce, the produce seems to be a whole lot more commodity specific. And I've told people with respect to these FISMA rules. <clears throat> We're not we're not publishing rules on uh, you know how to deal with banana gas or whether you've got to check for tarantulas. There's just too many commodities uh, to uh, uh, to try to come up with a simple protocol call that addresses how you handle uh, uh, you know blackberries uh, uh, on the one instance or, or lettuce on the other. Uh, that seems to be. Uh, an area of y'all's industry that it's it's fared along pretty well. Uh, we really have uh, very few instances of, uh, of transportation adulteration that causes sickness. So I think a lot of people figure that some of this uh, emphasis the government's putting on these new rules is really unnecessary. All right, John. Well, we appreciate the phone call. Let we're getting close to that time. Let's go to Brian. Brian, you are up on live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? What's your question? Hey, good evening, gentlemen. I just had a quick question for y'all. Uh, if you 
go to a warehouse to make a delivery, and they tell you, go ahead, disconnect your truck and pull on the other side of the block over there, do they assume full responsibility for the trailer and the contents if there's additional stops, or are you still liable? Uh, you've got a, you've got a, a, a great question. Uh, first of all, a lot of consignees take the position that they're not responsible for the count even though you have backed into the to the dock and aren't allowed on the dock to watch the unloading. Uh, we've had cases in which people have been told to back that load of cigarettes into the dock and, uh, and bobtail around somewhere else, and they'll never know when they're unloaded, only to have the whole load of cigarettes stolen off of the consignee's dock and had him make the claim. So it is a real question of chain of custody, uh, uh, particularly when you're not allowed on the dock to observe the unloading. Uh, if you're not allowed on the dock to observe the unloading and the guy is only unloading uh, what's supposed to be three skids on the tail, you don't know whether he's uh, taking the addition, additional skid or not. Uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, Warehouses make up their shortage on the back of a of an empty trailer. Uh, that creates a real problem, uh, both at time of loading and time of unloading. How can you be responsible for the count uh, on a shipment that uh, you don't uh, you don't count on and you don't count off? Now, uh, particularly when you've got a split load, uh, you can't just say, "Well, my seal was intact." because the seal was broken at the first loading opportunity. Uh, whether, you, uh, whether you need to protect yourself by uh, opening the dock and taking pictures of how many skids are in there uh, before you pull away uh, and then take a picture, uh, uh, you know, when, when you leave. Uh, if it's on pallets, I guess you can count the number of pallets that are there to be sure you haven't been ripped off. But that is a problem that... Uh, you know, we have encountered. And the answer to part of that is to put shipper load and count uh, on anything that uh, you aren't allowed to count on. Well, most of them don't allow. What if, you know, it's a refrigerated load and it trips those sensors because they sit there forever to break down the product and all that, and, and then you get somewhere and you know that you didn't have an issue, but you can't watch your temperature of your trailer because they have you on the other side of the block, um, like Walmart or AWG, for instance. How do you, you know, protect yourself? Tell them I'm not disconnecting. Uh, no, I don't think I don't think that's necessarily a plausible answer. Uh, I will tell you this, with the, uh, these FISMA requirements and the downloadable reefer, uh, I think you ought to be able to, after the fact, do a whole lot better job defending yourself. I mean, if you can show that you pulled in and the ambient temperature was, uh, uh, was uh, 34 and had been maintained in transit, and they opened up the dock and the, the, the doors in the hot Memphis sun, 
and you and then claim that the, the back two skids were temperature damaged. I think the combination of the reefer uh, and and the timing of it could could point a finger at them, where traditionally uh, uh, people without the downloadable reefer uh, haven't been able to effectively use that as a defense. Uh, uh, you know, if you're loaded hot and you pre-cooled your your, uh, your load uh, and you get down the road and all of a sudden you see that uh, uh, the temperature is going up, then chances are you didn't get a chance to pulp it and you can say there's an inherent vice issue uh, as a defense. Uh, so... Uh, that is at the time when our industry really needs uh, experts who understand what's called the, the law of thermodynamics because a reefer really isn't going to bring down the temperature uh, very far on a 500-mile haul, nor is it going to raise it very much. And when you get these odd-off situations, uh you know, your your reefer records may be your best friends. If somebody will listen to you now, that's not to say if the broker is not going to say, uh, to hell with you, I'm going to deduct. But uh, as, as a legal issue, uh, I think you've got, uh, you've got more defenses. And certainly when the, when the product gets, gets, gets more expensive, uh, you know, the, 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 the larger carriers are fighting those claims when sometimes, uh, the little guys just get uh, uh, the, the famous deduct. So you're saying on a multiple load, basically get that reefer download with the times on it, showing it was at their dock in their position. That's why the temperature changed, and it wasn't because of the, the reefer itself. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, uh, I, I have had cases like a, like a truckload of guacamole that was uh, – they claim was contaminated, and we use the reefer uh, uh, as proof that look, uh, you can see right here it was maintained in the, uh, in, in perfect temperature uh, until you opened it up on the dock. And uh, ah. you know, under under a strict Carmack analysis, if you receive it in good condition and deliver it damaged, you're responsible. But in in produce. Uh, uh, very frequently, which isn't covered by Carmack, you can say, "Hey, look, uh, you got to prove negligence, and we proved that uh, uh, based upon this reefer that we maintained it in transit at the temperature you required. So it must have been hot uh, at loading, or it must have been let left out in the Memphis sun. Uh, and then, you know, if you've uh, got a contemporary record of where." The shipment moved, and what the ambient temperature was that that only further aids your uh, your analysis. All right, great. I appreciate your help. And uh, by the way, uh, hello Rico, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir, Brian. We appreciate you for calling, and that pretty much will wrap up the hour. Hank, real quickly. Uh, if people want to get in contact with you, if they if they need your assistance or your services. How can they do that? Well, our website is called transportationlaw.net. That's probably the easiest way to remember it, transportationlaw.net. 
you can get our our email and our phone con uh, our phone numbers there uh and uh, you know it, it, otherwise i think rico you've probably got contact information up on your website don't you Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. We'll see you the same time, same place next week. Thank everyone for uh, helping out, participating. God, thank, God bless you, and good night. Good night. Hey, good, good night, Hank. I'm going to send you that email here in a few seconds. <laughs>